It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hey everybody, this is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. Welcome to the Invested Podcast, and you guys know what we do here. Let's drive you crazy hearing me tell you over and over again. I think it <laughs> does drive a lot of people crazy. <laughs> we should probably give up on that. I mean, essentially, I keep we, like we focus it. on Buffett style investing and life. How does investing work into life, and how does life work into investing? You know, I was thinking about this because I was out at the racetrack at uh, at Circuit of the Americas to first to watch the F1 race a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, you and, said that last time. I know. And then drive on the track and, you know, doing race prep for a race coming up in a few weeks. And I was just thinking about what an amazing metaphor for investing driving a race car is. What the hell? It's so much similar here. It's like, first off, um, and even just sort of life lessons, the first thing is what you put your attention on in a race mm -hmm. car is where you're going, mm -hmm. not, not the other way around. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it should be the other way around, but we can easily get fixated on on something that we're afraid of. And, and you keep looking at it. You're going there. You're going there in a remarkable way. It's like your body just, decides to do things to take you where your attention is. Well, because often the attention is where you are right now. And yet you're looking ahead <laughs> kind of either close to where you are, like into the corner or you're looking past the corner where right. you're not yet, right. but where you want to go. And right. where you get into trouble is when you're looking like at, at the apex as you go by it instead of where you're going out of the corner. And it's so interesting. There's a there's a turn at Road Atlanta, which is kind of our home track here. That's a famous turn called Turn Twelve, and a lot of people crash the wall there. There's a wall on the outside of the turn, just not very far away, maybe ten or fifteen yards, and then there's this big cement wall. Oh, and the turn bends to the right after coming down something like an eighty or ninety foot drop down this hill, vertical drop. Oh my gosh! And just it's a super fast turn it's like i go through that turn in my cars at about 110 and all of the g-forces are taking you to the wall and if you are looking at that wall i'm telling you man you're you got such a much better chance of going there it's like you have to force yourself to look where you want to be down the road like you said mm -hmm. out past the apex of the turn mm -hmm. down the track on the right side don't look at the left side don't look at the track out, don't look at that thing. And the turn goes really well. If you look at it, it's, it can be a train wreck and it really can be. And, um, I was just thinking about that this weekend. It's, it's like a rule for life. You know, what you put your attention on grows stronger in your life. Absolutely grows stronger. If you put your attention on where you want to go, who you want to be, the people you want to be around, the kind of life you want to have, I think you have something in, it's like some kind of magical 
characters or properties of nature, of natural law, that start to direct you toward those things rather than your attention on the things that are going wrong in your life, the things that are bad, the things that are you don't want to have happen, the disasters you're trying to avoid. Putting your attention on all of that seems to make that grow stronger in your life. Yeah, I completely agree and have additional thoughts <laughs> because I've been dealing with illness now for long enough that it's, a, I call it a long, long-term illness, I guess. Um, and something I've really been working on is not looking ahead, actually. Like having peripheral vision around what I have today, like what, where am I right now and what do I have today, as opposed to skipping over that thought process and going straight to, if only, you know, I could do X, Y, and Z a month from now, then I'll feel better. But I can't depend on X, Y, and Z a month from now. And I don't know if I'll feel better. So I've really been making it a practice to acknowledge, and I think this is kind of gratefulness practice in a way, to acknowledge what I have that's that feels good today. What's good about life today? What are the things I can do today that I couldn't have done six months ago or three months ago? And that has been really, really grounding for me. And it's really different than how I've ever, I've always thought about it the way you were talking about it, where it's like you look ahead and you make plans and you're always moving and, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's been a very growth. It's been a very growing kind of practice. And so thinking about the way you're describing the race car analogy going around a corner, I was thinking the ability to make that turn successfully, looking ahead at where you're going and not at the, at the turn is entirely dependent on how comfortable you are with the speed of the car. So somebody who is a experienced driver who's been on that corner many times, who's really comfortable at 110 miles an hour, doesn't need to look right at the corner that they're going around. They need to look where they're going because they know how to do the corner. It comes automatically at that point. And you need to know how to direct to the car. But somebody who's a brand new driver or just doesn't have a lot of experience, hasn't been around that corner, not feeling super good that day, Um, may need to just go more slowly. You still look the same directions, but the slow speed allows you to have more awareness about where you are at any given moment. So you would have more awareness around the corner as you go around it, even while looking ahead. I think you're making a really powerful point. If, if you're sort of driving over your head, yeah. if you're investing over your head, if you're Let's say you're very comfortable investing $1,000, but somebody gives you a million dollars. You may find very quickly that you feel very uncomfortable with that level of investment capital and the risk that you're now taking. You know, you lose $1,000, your life's not going to radically change. You lose a million dollars and everything changes. So it's, I think you're making a great point. And it's one where, again, to, to stay with the racing metaphor, 
we, we, we do baby steps. We sneak up on it. Like mm-hmm. you come into the corner looking where you're supposed to look. You, you put the car where it's supposed to be, but you, you have to creep up onto that place where you're now at that edge of your own personal ability and the car's mm-hmm. personal ability. Mm-hmm. And so you creep up. And one of my mistakes that I've made and probably have made all through my life is I tend to take big steps and mm-hmm. think I can get away with it. And inevitably I don't, you know, um, big steps. I totaled a Porsche Boxster on a wall at road Atlanta and yet wiped it out. Gone. I mean, hit, I hit a wall at 70 miles an hour. It'll wreck a car. Let me tell you. And I'm just um, glad you didn't get wrecked. Oh, car. Okay. Race car. Yeah. Race car required safety devices, yeah. the, like Hans <laughs> devices and the seats and everything is so well defined on what, and, and also I didn't hit a brick wall. I hit a tire wall, you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah, kudos to road Atlanta for safety procedures. And, but at, at the end of the day, I did that because I, over, I was, I, I had hubris. I think that's a perfect word for this is I, I didn't know what I didn't know and was, overly optimistic about what I could do. And I think that's really kind of to the point of, of what you're saying. You can't go too fast. If you're having a bad day, it doesn't help your day to go faster than you can go. You got to dial it back. And when you're investing, it doesn't help your investing to push forward, to make an investment today that you had planned to make when you're not ready, you Mm -hmm. haven't done the work. And so we warn you about hubris over and over again, mostly because it's my patented way to screw up is to think I know more than I know. And it's one of the reasons I think Charlie and Warren spend so much time talking about that as being one of their really great attributes that they have is that they know how to stay within their circle of competence and they know when they're out there where they don't know what they're doing. They know that and they come back. And it, it takes a lot of rationality to know that you have to overcome the little voice in your head that's telling you, yeah, you got this. Yeah. Right. I think what I find amazing about them is they have such an incredible combination of, I mean, years and years and years and years of experience, first of all, which I think is so massive in this investing choice making situation. Mm-hmm. But then also the ability to out of that experience, know when you go for it and when you don't. And they seem to make, they still make mistakes all the time, but they seem to make mistakes that they can get out of and few of them. And that's just, well, it's not, it's it's amazing. And it's not, it's like, I, I wanted to say that it's kind of like, yeah, the feeling, you know, it's like, for me, the feeling that I had of, like the really dead on investments that I was making um, that, that turned out to be, you know, a hundred percent returns in, in months, right. Those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. That feeling is that I've really got this. I really do understand this company. Right. But I also felt that about the one I got smoked on that we've talked about here, that zinc investment, mm-hmm. which were just getting paid in the lawsuit finally. Uh, on, and it's been what, five years. And I'll never forget that investment. It's the worst investment I ever made in my life. And, um, I felt really good about it all the way till it went bad. And that was because 
I found on hindsight, I was locked into confirmation bias. Everything that was coming up that was seen that could have been taken as a negative in the company, I found a way to rationalize as a positive. So when they took on more debt, that was a positive thing because they could get their plant done sooner when the plant mm -hmm. was having trouble. That was a positive thing because the trouble was almost over and they brought mm -hmm. in experts from Spain. And it just, you can just rationalize your way if you're in a state of confirmation bias and you have a problem with hubris. I don't think you have that much problem with hubris, Daniel. I think that's my more my problem. I think yours is that the is being comfortable knowing you've got enough and you can pull the trigger. Yeah, a hundred percent. Like I think you know, like you're driving. Through somebody the could run a, a, a father daughter psychological <laughs> analysis on yeah. us. I'm sure because <laughs> I definitely have whatever the opposite is of that, where I'm not confident enough and I don't take the action and. You know, there's benefits and drawbacks to that as well. But I think well, just being aware of your own, what, what, what would we call that? Your own um, predilection, your own sort of situation that you come from um, is key. Knowing yeah, if you're somebody stuff, right? and knowing if you're somebody who's more um, risk averse, who's more worried, who's more scared or more neutral in the middle and kind of not sure either way or somebody who like tends to go for it and worry about it um, later. I and think that's huge. Honey. It's everything to know that about yourself. It's gigantic. And we should know it. It's pretty obvious to you where you're at and it should be blatantly obvious to me. Where well, I'm I'll at. tell you six months into investing practice, you will know which one you are because you will have already done whatever kind of mistake <laughs> you're naturally going to do, right. which is for me watching good things whiz by. <laughs> so I guess another important, another important rule would be uh, as a metaphor for the track is don't make your mistakes in expensive cars. <laughs> oh, I like that. Nice line. Use cheap cars like around here in the, on the East coast. Miatas are the favorite learning vehicle for drivers. Mm -hmm. They're quite fun to drive. You can buy a fully ready to go race Miata for like 10 grand. Oh, nice. And yeah, and you can crash it. And you know, you the the rear end of the car costs $600 to replace that kind of okay. stuff. Yeah. You do the same thing to a Porsche, even a Boxster, and it's like 30 grand for the same wreck. Mm. Right. Yeah. So yeah, make your mistakes with a small amount of money. And that's really one of the reasons that great investors often come from just starting with very little capital. The Warren Buffetts and the Mungers, me, you didn't start with anything. We, you know, yeah. started with nothing. And um, if somebody just hands you a ton of money to invest, you're going to make your mistakes driving a very expensive Porsche. And you're, you're going to make the same mistakes because you haven't learned yet. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. So it's a very good thing. If you're thinking, gee, I wish I had a bunch of money. I mean, we all <laughs> no doubt think that. Wish I had a bunch of money. But if you did, you'd have problems. Where am I going to put it? What am I going to do with it? And you guys know, it's so famous that 
lottery winners in the United States, by and large, lose all of the lottery winnings in five years because they don't have a clue. They don't know how to invest it. I don't know if that's accurate. That's apocryphal. It sounded very inaccurate. But yeah, I, I wouldn't. I was going to let it go. It. Yeah, but I can see the look on your face. <laughs> like, are you sure? <laughs> Like you said last no, time, I think sure. that the biggest F1 crowd ever was in Austin. And then in Mexico, it was like double. No, <laughs> so, no, yeah, it, was. it was 320 some thousand in Mexico, right? It was 340, I think they said. Yeah. And Austin had 300 and something. It was very close. Oh, it was very close. Okay. It was very I think, close. I, I don't know that it was bigger. <laughs> I hope Mexico was bigger. I was cheering. We're talking about the F1 race this last weekend where uh, this driver named, is it Checo? Uh, it's his nickname. His name is Sergio Perez. His Sergio nickname Perez. is Checo. So everybody yeah, calls Checo. him Checo. And he's such a nice guy and he's been around a long time. And But he's really well known for being a great guy. And and he got a ride, he got moved into Red Bull when Red Bull was looking for someone that could really drive well and wouldn't chafe Verstappen who's their superstar you know wouldn't mind being you know behind Verstappen in terms of priorities and so but it's more job. than that dad let's just talk about f1 for the next 20 minutes just for a second because it's more than that he did not have a drive at the end of last year despite oh. being an incredibly good driver oh, respected yes but despite being respected by the entire field Despite These guys being with the pink cars, got rid of Perez. Yes, because this is talk about okay. This relates to investing yet again. Oh, thank God. So, here's what happened. F1. By the way, all my women out there who are not interested in cars, F1 is the world's greatest gossip source I have ever encountered. <laughs> so, um, what happened was that Perez was racing for Racing Point which had also had been through like all this drama had gone bankrupt. And because Perez actually took them into bankruptcy to save the company so that they could be discharged from their debts. So he had been like really through it with this racing team. And then Lance Stroll, who is the son of a billionaire, Lawrence Stroll needed to be on a good team. And so his father, Lawrence Stroll, the billionaire purchased racing point so that his son could be on the team and turned it in did a deal the guy's an amazing incredible businessman huge respect and he um did a and, deal and with lance stroll lance stroll can drive right i mean he deserves to lance stroll's it i don't know if he deserves a seat like i don't know if he'd be there without the dad's money to be completely transparent but he is not a bad driver Right. And there are other drivers who are also there because of family money who are, I wouldn't necessarily say that about. So Lance Stroll, yes, in the pay driver category is quite good. And, um, and so his dad bought this team and made a deal with Aston Martin to bring Aston Martin back into Formula One, uh, which had been years, apparently, because this was before right, I got right. into it, but been years and years since Aston Martin was in Formula One rebranded the team as Aston Martin has Aston Martin racing green now on the cars and also bought actual Aston Martin and is rebuilding actual Aston Martin streetcars 
and I think is making a new factory in the UK. I might have gotten that slightly wrong. So anybody wants to look up a cool, interesting turnaround car company, look up Aston Martin because Lawrence Stroll is very good at doing this kind of thing. Interesting. Very is interesting. It public? Um, I have not looked it up because I'm sort of half not on my it's game. It's not really our thing. What, um, Aston Martin? No, turnarounds. Oh, yeah. And um, there's a reason for that, by the way, just a quick aside here, that turnarounds, Warren, Warren Buffett once said that when a management team with a reputation for great success meets a business with a reputation for a bad business model, the business's reputation tends to stay intact. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> In other words, it's very difficult for even the best uh, business people, like a Lance Stroll, or rather a Lawrence Stroll, Lawrence Stroll, to overcome a business model that doesn't give you a niche. It doesn't give you an edge somehow. Well, they've got an amazing brand in Aston Martin. Well, that's the thing. He's got an F1 brand that's out there in front of the world now, so much so that Porsche is now starting to feel jealous. Yeah, I think, I think so too. And but it's obviously, it's not just up. an F1 brand. I mean, it's James Bond. It's, well, it's James Bond. And the James Bond movies are all still cranking. Of course. With, uh, what's the James Bond actor's name now? Um, what do you mean? Good. The actor that's They haven't James announced Bond. a new one. Well, no, the old guy. Oh, the old the one. Old, Daniel Craig. One. Daniel Craig. Daniel Craig. In my For my nickel, he's right there with Sean Connery. Oh, totally. No, no one could ever be better than. Um, have you seen the new movie? Because it just came out. No, I want to see it. I haven't seen it either. I want to see it too. A Time to Die, right? I don't know. Yeah. I think All I know is going. that it's out and Kate Middleton wore an amazing dress at the premiere. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So our news Aston are Martin, very different. <laughs> potential turnaround. Now the fun thing is in, in the risky biz portfolio, which oh, is wait, wait. I gotta finish telling you though how oh. Sergio Perez I, ended up at Red Bull. Hold that thought. 10% portfolio, put some money in a turnaround. If you really like it, you like the people, you think it's gonna be great. It's really fun. That's the fun part of investing. And when you hit it, you often hit it big, so it makes it really cool. All right, onward. I think that's Actually, I was thinking after we talked last time, I was thinking that's what I need to do more is is fun stuff. Like I kind of have that in my head, but I I still have not really used. I mean, think about it. How much fun would it have been to put money in Tesla back at the beginning? Well, when it went public. I mean, okay. that would have been like just on the yeah. pure, just which some people did, just on the pure love of the idea and somebody's finally doing it. Same thing with Bitcoin, you know, just on the pure love yeah. of the idea that this is a you know, something that needs to be in the world and put a little money in there. Yeah, yeah. totally. Uh, the catch, of course, is you would have sold out far, far long ago. You would have. But but I have <laughs> never... Grinding your teeth. But I've never made a, like, little risky... What do we call that? It's, I, I refuse risky to call biz. it an investment because it's not an investment. A it's little a risky... Risky biz, risky biz. A little risky way. piece of fun. A risky piece of fun. <laughs> We'll call it an investment. And the reason why is because you're going to do a story on it, just like all the story. You're going to do the checklist. You're going to know where the red flags are, mm. but you're in there for the long term. And that makes it an investment. Yeah. Okay. All right. Right. And you believe with every piece of your 
bottom of your toenails that you really think this is going to be a much bigger company in 10 years. So basically it goes into that section. It's met every other piece of criteria except the ones where you can logically refute the inversion. That's kind of well, how I yeah, see Yeah, I mean, it's, it's like, basically you're going to look at it's it. It's the go, ones okay. where you go like, yeah, the inversion's actually really likely, but they I still really like, really like this company. <laughs> right. Or I really like it. It's got to, if, if they do what they think they're going to do, the moat is huge. Yeah. Kind of a thing, right? Yeah. If the management team does what it says it's going to do, they're a great management team. <laughs> so you have risk in each one of these <laughs> critical things. Hopefully you do understand the business well. So it's, there's not risk there, but, and then finally, it's very difficult to put a price on one of these things because they typically are, uh, are still struggling with cash flow, And uh, to be able to say, I know what to pay for it when the, you have no idea what to pay for it. Um, that's where the red flags really go off for me. So that's why I really think really, if I, if I can dial something in, like I bought into Google when it was at 200 and that was because I felt I really understood it. I didn't understand when it came public at 80 because I hadn't operated with it yet, but it was so new, right, to me. Mm. And then we started using the Google ad system and realized, oh my gosh, these guys have figured out a way around Microsoft completely. They're not charging for anything here. They're not charging for their search engine. They're not charging for their, their ads directly. You only pay when it's doing something. Um, they're not charging for their, their document systems. They're like, it was fabulous. They they found their way around a monopoly in a sense, and and so we went into it for that reason. If they continue to do well, <laughs> this is yeah. going to be huge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So it goes into the risky biz side of things, and and um, you again hubris can make you feel like you're not taking risk when you actually are. So try to avoid that and understand I am taking risk here. I could lose all of this. Right. Then and. and then just be sure you keep it limited in your portfolio. And later on, when it turns into Tesla or Google and becomes worth, you know, 10,000 to one, uh, don't blame yourself for not putting in the kitchen sink. You know? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's so easy to do. <laughs> oh, I should have, could have, would have. I'd be so rich now if only. Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So gosh, um, we've sort of- Okay, wandered. I got to finish the story. We've wandered like crazy. So this is really about persistence. And being ready for whatever comes. So he had been through this whole thing with this team for years and saved the team. And then this team that he saved got sold to somebody who no longer wanted him as a driver. And the reason Lauren Stoll didn't want him as a driver was because he wanted to hire Sebastian Vettel, who is a four-time world champion and was going to essentially in I, I think this is what they've been doing kind of professionalize the team a bit more and be able to teach Lance Stroll how to be a better driver so he didn't want you know the non-world champion he wanted the four-time world champion so everybody kind of said okay you know that makes sense all right and um and Sergio Perez had nowhere to go which was so sad and then he I think he won at the end of last year. He won a race in that car, which nobody should should have been winning a race right. in. Where was it? Was it in Bahrain or something like that? 
Yeah. Like he he, or, he almost won or there was one race and then the car cracked out and he didn't even yeah. finish. And then the yeah. next one, I think he won. Yeah. So he had, I think he, showed he was he could really like drive over and over. And he had already yeah. lost his seat and yeah. over and over. He's showing what an incredible driver he is, how calm he is under pressure, getting the most out of this not good car. So yeah. then Red Bull is sitting around, which is one of the best teams going, uh, all of our people who we keep bringing up are really not doing a good job. And, um, and here's somebody who's reliable, who's getting the best out of a bad car, who everybody likes being around. He's a really good teammate, which is rare in the Formula One world. <laughs> and they hired him. And look, I mean, yeah. it, it was rough in the, the beginning. The it was rough in the beginning now. because he, you know, had to adjust to a new car. Yeah. But he's doing so well now. He's and it three seems, podiums in a row. Yeah. And he seems to really be beloved i want to say maybe that's too yeah, strong and he's but a, he's, he's the, the team loves the, him the team the competition loves him. for the for the number four best driver in the world um and i mean he's got three guys above him who are just simply the best drivers who ever walked around almost and the reason and, we're talking about him is that he got third in the mexico city race yesterday or on sunday was gigantic because no mexican has ever been on the podium in Mexico yeah, for a home race and, yeah. and no Mexican has ever led an F1 race in Mexico. And Perez did both of those. Yeah. And, and this is almost, a guy who didn't have a seat last year. So and he amazing. Almost, he almost got into second place. He was chasing Hamilton down and just had the bit of bad luck that Hamilton got around one slower car toward the end of the race. And it took Perez a while before he could find a piece of the track where he could get around this driver. And by that time, Hamilton had Dad, done enough of a space. We need to contact Liberty and get them to sponsor this podcast because Absolutely. we are doing a better job right now than drive to survive. I hear you. We're doing a great job of, of encouraging <laughs> F1, uh, F1 spectators. It's by the way, drive to survive is fabulous. Um, <laughs> Go watch it. It's on Netflix. It's also it, like half fiction and incredibly irritating if you're an actual fan. Well, but still they certainly have their little storylines, right? They do. <laughs> well, but so really today You'll get to I wanted to talk about more checklist details, but I think we'll hold that for next time or the, or the time after. We'll see. Because this was very fascinating about thinking through the forward looking versus... Yeah, and the, Current the, the racing is a good metaphor. It really is. Think about driving your car fast. A lot of the things that that you would properly do to do that well are what you should be doing to do investing well. Yeah. Remember that what you put your attention on is where you're going to go. And remember that you can't go faster than you can go. You have to dial it back. Don't let hubris take over or you're going to crash. Um, if you're having a bad day, you're having a bad week, you're having a bad year, don't don't put the throttle down. Back off. Back yeah. off. Take your time and work your way back up. Right? Work you're, according to your abilities. Right. Yeah. Work, work well and sometimes within your abilities. It's hard to know what those are, which I think is where the feeling of looking around, becoming aware of, of where you are yeah. matters. Yep. So we'll talk some more about this checklist next time. And there's a lot about the kind of logistics of it that'll be fun to go into. Until then. <laughs> I've convinced you. All right. <laughs> time to go play. Thanks, everybody. Bye. See you.
Hi guys, thanks for listening to Invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information or to listen to additional episodes, visit our website at investedpodcast.com and sign up for my virtual workshop right there. Spots are definitely limited for this event. I'm not kidding, they really are. They sell out very quickly. So everything discussed on this podcast, by the way, is either my opinion or it's Danielle's opinion. And I'm really important, it's not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your financial advisor nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. So remember that. You're on your own here. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I really hope you enjoyed it.